the next four months, both on Sundays and in our small groups, we as a church will walk through one of the most important books of the Bible. It's the, books, the book of Romans. It's considered one of the most important theological books ever written. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the, the greatest men who ever lived and one of the most influential men in the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. So this book, it's written to the church in Rome who's made up of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, there's a tension between these two groups of people uh, because of traditions and, and especially with the Jews, they had this law-driven mindset of how they, would, how they were supposed to serve God. And seemingly the Gentiles were full of sin and they were living sinful lives. And so there was this tension between Jews and Gentiles and how it should play out. And theologians believe Romans to be the pivotal book for believers to know and wrestle with. That we would know what the book of Romans talks about, the, the, the pattern in which it's written. Ray Steadman said, it's one of the books of the New Testament that every Christian ought to be thoroughly familiar with. If you haven't mastered the book of Romans and aren't able to think through this book without a Bible before you, then I urge you to set that as your goal. That's a big statement to make, it's a big goal to set because Romans is a big book, right? But it's not a book to skate over, but one that we allow to confront our beliefs. How many of you know that whatever you believe something for a long time, at times you can begin to drift. You can begin to adopt things and, and maybe you go through certain experiences and it begins to affect your belief system and you might not even know it. So it's one of these books that brings us back into alignment. And it's all about explaining how we become righteous through, through faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that Jesus paid the price for our sinful condition. Very, very important. There was a man named Martin Luther. He's, uh, he's known as the, the father of the Protestant Reformation. And uh, on October 31st in 1517, he uh, was a part of the Catholic Church, and he had some, uh, some problems with what was going on, and, uh, such as they were, they were selling indulgences for the absolution of sin. They were, they were uh, kind of promising forgiveness of sin if you paid for it, right? And, uh, and that wasn't right. And as he was studying the book of Romans, he saw a few things that he had issues with, and what he did is he, he, had, this, he had his 95 thesis, which most of you probably have heard of this before, but... He took his 95 Thesis, and it's believed that he nailed it to the church of, uh, there in Germany, to the, the wall of the, the, the door of the church. But what he did was started a reformation, changed the whole landscape of the church. And this is what he had to say about the New Testament. He said about Romans, he said it was the most important piece of the New Testament and that it was impossible to read, study, ponder, or meditate on too much, right? Too much, sometimes it's like, oh, I've read that. This is one of those books that you could reread again and it would still have as much power as the first time you read it. Justification by faith alone is the central message of Romans. And again, this right here is what defined Martin Luther's approach to the 95 Theses. And, um, and honestly, it had to do with the fact that there were people saying that they were the ones who for could forgive sin. And then Martin Luther reads this 
this, this message of justification by faith alone and it completely renovated everything. And guys, look, we are in the vein of the Protestant, we are a Protestant church. That is where we come from. This seedbed, this part right here, this was a fork in the road. And so yes, there's a lot of things that we believe that are very, very different than other people. And it's based upon this book and it's so important that we read this book with uh, an open mind. But justification by faith alone, faith is a divine persuasion. It's a belief system based on a divine persuasion. And it's something that is instigated by God. And Luther said that this doctrine is on which the church rises or falls. This right here, this is a big deal. And this is why we must understand it well. So that way we're not tossed and pulled and, and you know, uh, uh, confused in what it is that we're basing our eternity on. And so my goal and our goal as a, as, a, as a teaching team is that you would understand that you're justified, you're made righteous through faith in what Jesus has done for you, not what you could do for him. And I want you to see the process of consecration, sanctification, what we talk about a lot. I want you to see it as a joyful process, a good process, a God-honoring, God-glorifying process that you engage in, and to be motivated from that to the mission of reconciling people to God, right? But every single one of you also were joined today by uh, with Long Beach and Wiggins. And so we're excited to have you guys in the room, but every single one of us for the next four months, you all have a personal responsibility every time that you show up to church is to engage, is to bring your brain with you, okay? To think through the scriptures, not to assume certain things. And yes, at times there's gonna be things that are spoken that you may not understand or agree with and I think that it's awesome. I think it's great. I think that we should be able to wrestle with and talk through what it is that we believe and not just listen to somebody on a stage and just take it all at face value all the time. There should be, have you ever had a moment where somebody reads a scripture or they say something and you go, really? What do you do with that? Do you then go and discuss it? Do you then go and search the scriptures to find out what is that? What was, what was that moment of misunderstanding or I didn't quite get it? And I believe as we do that, our faith is gonna be encouraged. And I believe this, I believe that this church will grow. Spiritually, I believe that every single one of us, if we keep our eyes on the main thing, I believe that we will grow as people and our small groups, as we discuss what we talk about on Sundays, I think that there are gonna be incredible times uh, of growth and, and learning, right? Growth both in our spirit, man, but also right here. Remember, we talked about this last week. Our experience with God is just as important as our understanding of who he is. And so, so with all that, are you guys ready to lean in and go through the book of Romans? You ready? All right. Well, I wanna pray. But before I do, I do want to let you guys know, uh, this past month, we talked about some of the plans that we have moving forward, some of the vision at Northwood Church uh, with our, our new location coming in Ocean Springs, a new auditorium in, in Long Beach, and, and a, a lot of other projects. And I wanna let you know that, that uh, even though you might not have heard much about it in the last couple of weeks, that we are, 
We're gathering information, we're gathering a plan and, and, and putting out a plan and kind of feeling out some options in order to move forward with that. And so, uh, so in due time, we will be coming and bringing uh, some more information. Meanwhile, this is what I ask you all to do when it comes to, uh, to where we're headed here at, at Northwood Church is to pray, is to pray to pray for the leadership, to pray for the body, to pray that there is unity, to pray that there is grace to continue to move forward in what it is that God has laid upon our hearts. And, uh, and, and can y'all do that? Can you do that? It'd be, it'd be greatly appreciated. So let's pray right now. Let's pray right now and then let's get started. Father, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And today, God, we pray that through the book of Romans, that you would start something fresh and new in all of our hearts, that you would bring our focus to, uh, to what it is that you've done for us, God, what it is that you're doing in us, and God, what then we could do for you. And so, God, we pray that as we read your word, that it would be alive, that it would do what only it can do, and it's something more than I can do. And God, I pray that you would illuminate it, give us revelation of your goodness, in Jesus' name, amen. So chapters one through four show that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. And we'll explain that in a moment. But naturally, God's righteousness reveals our unrighteousness, right? As you, it's kind of like a comparison thing. If you look at someone who's really good at something, a professional, right? Then you look at somebody who's not so good. At first, you thought they might have been decent, but then you look at somebody that's really good and you're like, they're terrible, right? They're not very good. And uh, what happens is, is whenever we look at God's righteousness, it naturally reveals our unrighteousness. Romans 3, 5 is going to talk about that. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But Paul starts this letter by persuading us of our own unrighteousness. Doesn't that sound fun, right? Because we're born into the condition of sin. We're born into an unrighteous state. It's nothing that we've done. It's just basically, it's just how it is. It's just this original state of sin that we're born into. And if we don't understand our current condition, then we won't understand why we need to be saved from that condition. We won't understand the, the gap between God's righteousness and our own. And the condition of sin, it's gotta be dealt with before the conduct of a believer. Justification deals with this condition, and sanctification deals with the conduct of a believer or righteous living. And this is why we talk about this a lot, because if we put righteous living before being justified and being made righteous, then all we have is works. And that is not what God wants from us. That is not, right? That is not where it starts. And so this letter is really going to delineate and another way of saying it is being made more like Christ. Come on, sanctification, being made more like Christ, uh, a faith unto works, faith unto obedience, not obedience unto faith. We're going to deal with all these things. But I do want to give you a heads up that today's message is going to, it's going to be very heavy. It's going to start really good. And then by the time we end, it's going to be really bad, <laughs> right? And that's really where the first few chapters are at in Romans is Paul's like, hey, guys, yay, let me spend the next few moments destroying you, <laughs> right? Now, the book of Romans is meant to be read at one time. It's meant to be approached from a, 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 a large perspective where you read straight through it. However, that's not what we're doing. We're going to be reading through it for the next four months. And honestly, 
you could probably spend a couple of years in this book because every word has value. Every verse has value. And so that's what we're going to do, though. So y'all ready? Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's start in verse one. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, which is the good news of God. He says, the gospel that he promised beforehand, the gospel that God promised beforehand, the good news that we are unrighteous, that we are set apart in a negative sense from God, and that Jesus came and through his sacrifice, which we have just sang about this morning many times, okay, that through that sacrifice, we now have a way. This good news he promised beforehand. This isn't something out of nowhere he's saying. Hey, guys, look, through the prophets, which is, you know, he's talking to a lot of Jews, okay? Now, these people, they grew up reading the Old Testament, reading the Torah. They, they read through the minor and major prophets. They'd read the whole New Te- uh, the Old Testament, and they, had, they knew there was a Messiah coming, okay? They knew it, and he's like, this is it. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And so he says that it's through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3, regarding his son, it's a big statement. Again, sometimes we read over it, but what he just said is Jesus was God's son, all right? Jesus is the son of God who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. Again, that's another fulfillment of prophecy right there, that he would be a descendant of David, the Messiah would. So he's, again, he's reminding them of the things that they knew, but maybe they didn't have a revelation of. Verse four, he says, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Don't ever, don't ever get used to the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was a big deal. That was a hinge pin. And he says, remember that moment, because that's where he was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's where he, he's, he's now established Jesus' deity, his holiness, and his power. So verse five, through him we received grace. Grace, now guys look, you can't comprehend Romans if you don't comprehend grace. You can't understand the Christian life and why we get so excited about, about the gospel if you don't understand grace. It's unmerited favor. It's undeserved, freely given. It's good news, all right? The grace of God. So, uh, by the way, if you, if, you earned, if you earned grace and it's not grace, you gotta remember, remember that if, if you have earned God's righteousness, then, then the grace of God, the fibers of that entire message begin to break apart. And so he says, uh, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Again, faith to obedience, not obedience to faith. Very important that we make that a one-way street, all right, that we don't mix that up and make it all one big thing. Faith into obedience, but why? For his name's sake, for the glory of God. Guys, look, the point that we live, everything that we do, the crescendo of our lives is that God gets the credit, the honor, the glory, the praise for how we live as believers. Like that's, that's why we do what we do. It's not 
to attain some sort of right standing with God. It's, it's a response from that. It's very, very, very important. Verse six, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ. God has chosen you. Verse seven, to all in wrong who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verses eight through 15, we're not gonna cover these verses. Uh, Paul's basically just saying, hey, I'm excited to come and visit with you guys. I'm encouraged to be encouraged by your faith and I wanna encourage your faith. It, 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 he's just excited and he's, yeah, this is gonna be great news, right? So you could read eight through 15 on your own. We're gonna skip down to verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Come on, church, isn't that what we want to be? Not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, where we don't hide it, we don't, uh, you know, cloak it or, or uh, try to insert it from time to time. And uh, uh, uh. No, we're not ashamed of it. And in order to not be ashamed of the gospel, we've got to know what it actually is, <laughs> right? I think any time that somebody is... Uh, ashamed of their faith or they try to hide their faith uh, or their belief system in God, I believe that they are not, they don't have a full revelation of the incredible power of the grace of God and what they're putting their faith in. I believe that they need to revisit their understanding of the gospel. It's not an equation in our head, but it's a revelation in our hearts, okay? But why are we not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is it. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power. The, the realization of God's goodness and his grace and what he has done in your life, that is, that is the power that saves everyone, but that is the power that sustains you, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's what activates and sustains God's power to accomplish his will. It's not something that we, we progress past, okay? It's not like, okay, Jesus is good. I accept him as Lord and Savior. Now let me go on to something new. No. That is a very dangerous fork in the road for a believer. To basically say, I got that. Now let me focus in on something else. What he's saying here is that moment, that revelation, that is a well that you continue to go back to and you dig deeper into because that's how you grow. That's how you continue to have uh, uh, this, this, this faith in God. I love this statement. It's the way that we grow in Christ is the same way we began in Christ. Right? The same way. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness thankfulness. Don't get bored with the good news. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. From the your entire walk with God is by faith. You were made righteous by faith from beginning to end. Galatians 3.3 says, are you so foolish? Again, this is Paul speaking to another church. He's so encouraging, right? <laughs> are you so foolish? 
we would never start a sentence with that because people would get offended and immediately they'd go somewhere else or say, I don't need church anymore because they're mean. After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Like what started in this beautiful, you know, realization of who God is, are you trying to finish it in your own means? Like, no, just as it is written, this is the key, key part. The righteous or the just will live by faith. A man is made righteous by faith and a man will continue to live righteously by faith. By faith. So this is where the, the letter turns. This is where the positive tone of Paul changes to something that not many people want to read in church nowadays. And if they do read it, it's not in the context of the gospel. It's in the context of this judgmental tone that condemns you, right? But now that we've established the good news, now that we've established what, what God is, is doing, we can actually now progress into the next part. Based upon this, this is why Paul starts with the good news is because there's some very, very, very bad news that's attached to it, all right? So, so you know, he, he, there's a burden, there's, there's an opportunity, there's a responsibility for him to communicate the entire truth, not just the positive side, but also the negative side. And basically, he's going to talk about God's wrath on unrighteousness. So here we go, verse 18. The wrath of God. <laughs> now, we tried to find another angle on that. Like, we tried to soften it. We tried to bring some sort of just nice way of saying that, but there's not a nice way of saying it. It's literally the fury of God. It's the anger. It's what you felt whenever the flag was not thrown at the Saints game a couple weeks ago. <laughs> That's... That moment that you felt. <laughs> this, the Super Bowl is today, and I had to say one last thing because it's true. I'm bringing truth today. And every, yeah, come on. The wrath of God, it's not a good thing. And it is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Godlessness is basically just not believing in a God. And wickedness is the evil nature that, that again, we have based upon the choice that Adam and Eve made and, and how that played out when sin entered into the equation. All godlessness and all wickedness of people God hates sin, y'all. He hates it. And that word hate, I'm using the word hate. He can't stand it. It's not part of his nature. It's not who he is. It's not his design. It's not, it's not good. And his wrath is, is uh, it's, it's toward, it's going out towards, it's being revealed, but it's being carried out on this sin. And so it says that, against all the, the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Wickedness suppresses and it distracts from the truth. Wickedness is not a passive thing. It is an active force and it suppresses truth. Just think about culture. 
Doesn't it seem like the more wickedness that prevails seems to, doesn't it seem like it just, it's almost like compound interest. It just begins to build and it begins to open up to more. Well, that's because it suppresses truth. It suppresses, uh, you know, it, it suppresses Jesus. Jesus is the truth. It's not always intentional, but that's what na- wickedness naturally does. In verse 19, he says, since what may be known about God, I like this, this phrase because it, it helps us understand something very, very important. What may be known about God. Now, may speaks of permission, but another version says what can be known about God, which speaks about, you know, ability. And, and either way you look at it, what a big statement. What can or may be known about God. That means that there's some things that can't be known about God. And so if you're on a journey today where you feel like you don't wanna give yourself over to God. You don't want to place your belief in God based upon the fact that you don't have all everything figured out. Um, Well, here it says that none of us will or do in this life. How do we live this life? By faith. It's not blind belief. It's divine persuasion. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because why? God has made it plain to them. Huh? Huh? How has God made it plain to them? How? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We all have faith in something, y'all. Okay, never believe that that we, like there's some people who have faith and some people who do not have faith. We all have faith. We, we have a persuasion, a belief given to a certain belief system. So we do believe in something, even the atheists, agnostics, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. Everybody has a faith. They're placing that faith in something. There's an object of our faith. And that's where, that's where the differences lie is where's the object of your faith? What are, where are you placing that faith? But it says here that he's made it plain to everyone based on his creation, if anything, that alone. And if you believe that science is proving otherwise, keep reading, right? There's many, many, many leading scientists nowadays who uh, the more that science actually progresses, the more they learn. And and, uh, for many of them, it's not a question of intelligent design. That's a given. It's actually, is it a personal creator that's still involved in that design? Uh, which is a whole different conversation. It's really wonderful. We believe. Keep on figuring stuff out. Keep on figuring it out. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they, they knew at the, the very least because of the creation around them, uh, uh, they, they knew God. It's important that we realize that they never, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. These are two staples of a believer's life, their, their walk with God. Again, I just said it earlier that we would glorify God, but then there's this other thing of gratitude. Out of all the things that he could have said here at this moment is that they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And the best way that I know kind of how to illustrate it is with something very, very simple to understand, but I think that it displays it properly, is what he's trying to describe would be like this. It'd be like, you know, say, say your wife, come on, man, your, your wife cooks, cooks you food, she cooks you dinner, 
and you sit down. Wow, got an amen, amen. We got, we got three more hours till, till the food happens. Okay, you sit down and it's there before you and you begin to eat that food. And you're just like, wow, this is so good. This steak, this, these potatoes, wow. Steak, I wanna thank you for being so good. And potatoes, <laughs> so the sour cream, every part of you is awesome. Meanwhile, your wife is sitting there looking at you like, like I made them. I created that dinner that's so good, right? That's laughable and also worth a slap in the face, okay? <laughs> Why? Because you didn't give credit to her and you also didn't have gratitude towards her. Sometimes we overcomplicate what God wants from us as believers. And it's actually very, very simple. It's not overcomplicated. Glory and honor and thanksgiving. He goes on and he says, they neither glorified or gave thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, mankind, they claimed to be wise, they actually became fools. You ever feel like things are upside down in the world? Things like that we used to know that were so easy to understand 15, 20, 30, 100 years ago, and now it's like, we don't even know like, who we are anymore, man. Because the more that you, as people, suppress truth, the more it's suppressed and the more confusing the things that you thought you knew become. This has been happening for a long time. This just, this just didn't start last week, guys, <laughs> okay? The futile thinking of man has been, been around for a long time. Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. This is our default, guys, to worship inanimate objects, worship, worship worthless, worthless objects, idolatry, it's just part of the equation with us as people. Whenever we take our eyes off of God, we gotta put our eyes on something. And nowadays, most of you in this place watching, there's not some sort of statue in your living room right now, some sort of graven image that you bow before and you worship. Some there are, but for most people, it's not that way. For most of us, especially in America, it's all about the American dream. We have removed the wood statues and in place of those things, we have, we've placed our careers, we've placed greed, we've placed ourselves, entertainment. We've placed a lot of things that sound good and okay and a lot of things actually are okay, except whenever you place them in place of God where that becomes your source, where that becomes your hope, where that becomes your purpose. And as believers, we are not called to live a life where our source of joy and hope and purpose and all of these things comes from what we can touch and see and feel. Why? Because we live our lives by faith in God. It's whatever steals glory and honor from God. So I'm not up here to tell you that everything that you do and anytime you have fun, that you're not supposed to have fun. It's not what I'm saying. I was at a Saints game a few weeks ago 
And uh, I was walking through the, 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 by the concessions and I was going back to the, my seats. And, and I was just having a great time. And I said, God, I wanna thank you that I could come to a game like this and enjoy this. This is, this is awesome. What just happened? Now, I didn't do that to have a good illustration, by the way, okay? <laughs> no. I had a heart of thanksgiving towards God for something that I'm enjoying, genuinely. I think sometimes what happens is we, in those moments, we, we stop glorifying the creator and we start worshiping the creation. And that's where we're off. Verse 24, therefore, because of this, because of this type of idolatry and futile thinking, God gave them over. The wrath of God is displayed in this way right here. A lot of us, when we think about the wrath of God, we think of it as the ground opening up beneath us, fire coming forth, lots of loud noises, lots of crazy, crazy things happening, and the wrath of God. Yet here, it's displayed in what I'll call the wrath of abandonment, which is just this right here. I guess you just go do what you gotta do. If you know the story of the prodigal son, that's exactly what happened. The prodigal son was fighting his dad. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted to go, wanted to be. So his dad, of course, didn't want him to, eventually does. Because what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to make them? Nope. God gave them over. When Paul describes it, it, it's simple. It's just God taking his hand off of our lives as mankind, as a whole. And again, we're talking about the beginning. God gave them over. He gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It's interesting that the first thing that Paul talks about here is sexual immorality. Don't ever think that sexual immorality is just something to be uh, okay with and, and handle lightly. Paul says out of everything, the first thing is that they begin to be, be sexually impure. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Beginning to, this, this picture is starting to get, to get painted for us, right? It, it's bleak, it's negative, but it's true. And so this next part I'm gonna read to you, I'm gonna ask that, I don't, I don't need amens, all right? I don't, need, I don't need anybody to clap. Let's let the word of God speak. Let's read it, let's take it for what it says, and let's allow it for some of us in this place today to maybe uh, correct us. I know that in reading these verses, many things have corrected me. And so let's, let's, let's let the text do the talking. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. You see, sexual immorality, it's a result of godlessness and wickedness for mankind. And, and he talks about it and he, he really begins to define it, which we have trouble doing 
even as believers. If you're in this place today and you're not a believer, it's difficult. And if you are a believer, it's still difficult because we know the grace and the love of God and we know the acceptance of God, but at the same time, we read scriptures like this that says, those things are a result of and they represent unrighteousness. So we have to let this come up against us but it's not just homosexuality, which is what's depicted here. Whenever he talks about sexual immorality, it's also fornication, it's adultery, it's perverted thinking, it's lust. Jesus came and he says, actually, I wanna let you guys know that if your thought processes are given to sexual immorality, you've already displayed and proven where your heart's at. And so many times, again, we like to pick and choose certain things, but we do have to realize and bring it all into balance and say that all sexual immorality is, is frowned upon and the wrath of God is given towards, and, and he hates it, y'all. Does he hate the person? No, absolutely not. That also would be unbiblical. But sin is not in his nature. And we've got to agree with that. It's not how he designed sex to operate, but it's a result of our brokenness. And it's a reality, it's a reality. 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a, a depraved mind. He lets them go physically, gives them over, and then he also gives them over psychologically, mentally. He says, go, think. And so they do, and so that they do what ought not to be done. And then verse 29, for anybody that felt like you were not hit in the first group of scriptures, all right, with, which I would probably have to say that 100% of us were hit in the first one, okay? The second groups of, of scripture will hit the rest of us, all right, again. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Guys, this is what unrighteousness looks like. This is what mankind is. All of these scriptures, this is who we are without God. Whenever we are given over, the wrath of God is displayed, how? In our own self-destruction. It's how it plays out. And after he says all of these things, he says, then they invent ways of doing evil. So he was thinking about all the things that could be said back in that time. And he said, you know what? They're gonna invent new ways in the future. And doesn't it seem like today we're inventing new ways? We're inventing new ways to kill babies. We're inventing you know, sex trafficking. We're, we're inventing things that continue to perpetuate this process. And when I say we, I'm talking about mankind. You guys get that. That's, that's what it looks like. And that's also why we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. Not, not surprised. Heartbroken, yes. Surprised, no. It's all listed in the word of God that it continues inventing new ways of doing it. And, and a lot of things we're just seeing in our country for the first time where it's been going on for centuries all over the rest of the world, right? And then after all of this, he plugs this in, they disobey their parents. 
which seems like such a, it seems like that would have been one of the, the things you lead into, right? Like you're going to disobey your parents. And now let me tell you all these horrible things. But do you know disobeying your parents and for young people and old people alike, look guys, even though you get out of the house, there's still honor for your parents. And so obedience may shift whenever you become an adult, but it's still the same heart. But disobeying parents is a big deal. It's a big deal. Let me show you why. Whenever you view God as a father and, and, and as your parents, they birthed you, they took care of you whenever you could do nothing, that if they left you by yourself, you would die. They, su they supplied your every need. They loved you. They Some people don't have this story, but this was the original plan that they would love you and su supply for you all your needs and they would, be, they, would, they would help you understand and help you grow and then launch you, right? It's a picture of God who, while we were nothing, took care of us, called us to life, did all these wonderful things. And then out of that, in your adult life, you would then return that love and that respect and that honor. It's a, it's a beautiful picture in a perfect world, social security wouldn't need to exist because we would take care of one another. The family unit would be intact, right? All of these verses, again, they open up into very large conversations. Disobeying your parents, if you disobey your parents, as you get older, you'll find it dif difficult to, to obey your God. You will. I'm talking to people that are raised in church, young people, because we read a lot of scripture and we hear a lot of good stories. But if it doesn't, if it's, if it's not a revelation, the goodness of God and the grace of God for us, even as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, it doesn't matter how old, that it affects the trajectory of your life. But he says, they disobey parents. Verse 31, they have no understanding, no fidelity, that means loyalty, no, no loyalty, no, no love, no mercy. Verse 32, although they knew God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they knew it. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And then the cycle continues and continues. And here we are, 2019, and the cycle continues. And it will continue. It will continue until Jesus comes back. Are you guys encouraged? Welcome to Romans chapter one. <laughs> the next three chapters, he's gonna approach unrighteousness from a different perspective, but all of the results are the same. That if we continue down that road, not only is there destruction physically, but more importantly, there's death after this temporary life. There's death, eternal separation from God. And so I don't mean to be such a downer today, but in the same sense, for those of you who have placed your faith in God, even though you read these scriptures, you're still filled, filled with joy and gratitude that God called you out of that. That he loved you enough and his grace was sufficient enough to cover anything that you had done because he loved you. So Paul's described a humanity who has rejected God and is hopelessly unrighteous, and because of that, is experiencing the penalty and the result of their choices. 
So we end the day with the understanding of our unrighteousness and the fact that, that God isn't pleased with it. But the good news is so good. The gospel is so good because the bad news is so bad. We are dead without Christ, without him. We're, we're dead. But subsequently are made alive with him by God's grace through faith. And today, I want to give an opportunity right now for those of you who feel that God is calling you out. He's calling you out of darkness. He's calling you out of unrighteousness. And you realize the good news. You realize the grace that he has for you. And today, based upon that, that faith that he has birthed inside of you, you want to respond to that. And you want to give your life and surrender your heart to him today. I want to pray with you. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're in this place today and you realize that you are far from God and that you are desperately in need of his grace and his mercy. And today you want to, to throw all of, that, all of what you are, everything, your, what, you, what you tout as successes, your works, you wanna throw your failures, you wanna throw everything that you have to quote unquote offer to God and you wanna place it at his feet. And in that process, he gives you life. He gives you his righteousness, not your own. Because your righteousness, the things that you have to offer, they fall short every time. And that's what makes this moment so good. So if you're in this place right now, you're watching online or come on, you're in Long Beach and Wiggins, no matter where you're at in this moment, just say, God, I surrender who I am to who you are. And God, right now, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would forgive me of my sin. That you would make all that is wrong right. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for sending Jesus to do what I could not do, live a life I could not live in complete righteousness and perfection and then dying on a cross so that his death would be the payment for mine. And because of that, I have life. Right now, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, that you are Savior, and I believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead to set me free. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. I wanna to continue to pray for all of us in this place because I know that all of us watching online, every location, all of us were hit and confronted in some way, shape, or form. So let's just allow God to continue that work in us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We submit to it. We surrender to it. And God, we pray that you would, those nuggets, those seeds that were planted today, God, that those things would sprout, that they would grow. Father, we would see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people, be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.